begin tonight with the verse that that is our theme verse for the series that we are in right now. That is Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 4. Please don't forget coming up uh, the end of this month, not this Sunday, but next Sunday in the evening, we will be having a combined service with Brooklyn uh, Church. And uh, we'll be helping doing singing in that service. I'll be ministering the word in that service. And we're looking forward to that. Worshiping with some brothers and sisters that are part of the body of Christ. Amen. Please don't forget uh, in September the 18th, 19th, and the uh, 20th. Is going to be our teaching revival. And uh, we are looking forward to that with Pastor John Carroll from uh, Skytook, Oklahoma. And we will be looking at spiritual warfare. We want to be armed and ready to fight the battles that come against us. And I believe that's going to be a tremendous blessing to all of us that are able to be here. That will begin Friday night. It will go Friday night, Saturday morning. Uh, and then Sunday morning and Sunday night, he will be with us as well. We will have an evening service that particular night. And uh, I'm looking forward to a great time in the Lord. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6 and 4, a uh, very familiar passage of Scripture to us, or it should be. Um, it is the cornerstone Scripture, I believe, in all of the Bible. Um, and the reason I would say that is because when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He reemphasized this scripture himself. And um, I think the reason it is so important is because it has so much to do with the identity of God. It is important that we understand the identity of God. That, um, that we do not try to separate God into into different boxes, as it were, of of that would perhaps fit our uh our own uh preconceived notions of how he should be or who he is, but we need to let God be who he is in all things, in all ways, and as we allow God to be God, he will show himself strong for us. He will show himself strong for us. So Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord who is our God. He is one Lord. There is only one God. And you have to understand that that was a rather unique um, a unique declaration to make in the day and age in which the Lord gave them this scripture because you are living in a time, uh, Israel was living in a time when people worshipped, all people seemed to worship a multiplicity of gods. And uh, that was very uh, unique that you would have a people who would only worship one God. And so... The Lord our God, Israel, hear this, the Lord our God, He is 
one Lord. So we continue our series tonight, Who is Jesus? This is a study on the Godhead. Now what I'm going to get into tonight is going to be prophecies of the uh, Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. We are going to look at prophecies of the Old Testament that Jesus Christ specifically fulfilled, letting us know that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah that was to come. Now, some of the prophecies are going to come from the book of Genesis. Did you know that they were prophesying about, uh, about the Lord even in the very beginning of the Bible, you're going to find prophecies about he who is to come. Now, what is amazing about that to me is that there's stuff being said. Matter of fact, let me, um, let me just pull up, and, and I will have a lot of scriptures for you uh, tonight. Uh, but there was stuff being said about the Messiah all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3. There is already things being said about the Messiah. And that is, that is pretty amazing considering the fact that there hasn't even, there, there, uh, you haven't had a law yet. You haven't had a time of the patriarchs yet. You haven't dealt with any of those things at that particular time. Um, this is all pre that. In other words, God was letting us know that he had a plan God had a plan long before we ever needed God to have a plan. All right? Before we ever needed him to have a plan, God already had a plan that was set in motion. I'm not, I'm not just talking about it was sitting on the shelf saying, one of these days I'm going to take this thing out when they need... It was already in motion. The Bible said that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world so before let's let's just dive into a little bit this night before god ever said let there be light god had already provided a way of escape for us now that's awesome that is awesome that god cared enough about us knowing knowing looking down he lives in eternity God, looking through the corridor that we call time, he knew what would happen. He knew what would come to pass. And he said, before we ever get there, I'm going to make sure that they already have a way of escape that has been made for them. Oh, how he loves us. If you ever think get to thinking that God does not love you, you just need to allow yourself to think about that for a moment and consider that he loves me so much that before I ever needed a Savior, he had already decreed and declared that there was a Savior. Wow. Wow. So, the, you know, this is, this is uh, a big thing, and, and, and it begins... You could say Genesis 0 and 0. It's already happening, but we have recording in the Bible, uh, in the, at least in the book of Genesis chapter 3, where, where God has already set these things together. Now, uh, I was, I was, where I was going with that is to say this. We know that the Messiah is being prophesied about before we ever got to the law. Everybody say the law. Before we ever got to the law, the Messiah... Is being prophesied about. 
Why is that important? I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because that reminds us that the law is, is nothing more than a temporary fix. It is a temporary fix for what, for what God will ultimately do that will be an eternal fix. All right? So, the law was given to us. The Bible teaches that when the, when, <clears throat> when the high priest would go before the Lord once a year and uh, he would make atonement for the na- entire nation of Israel, that the sins of the nation of Israel, all of their collective sins, would be rolled back for one year. That's why they had to go before the Lord every single year. Because if they didn't, then the sins would not be rolled back. So he went before the Lord once a year. He would go into the, to the holiest of holies, or sometimes referred to as the most holy place. He would take the blood that they had, uh, and, and he would sprinkle that upon the mercy seat. He would have the incense with him. And there you would have blood, and you would have incense representing worship. So you would have repentance, and you would have worship. And when the repentance and the worship was, was offered up to the Lord, he would, he would say, all right, now I will roll your sins back for one year. And if you don't have any other way to get rid of your sins, then I'm thankful for that. But I'm, I am so thankful that he said, we're not going to just depend on that for all time. He said, I am going to allow there to be something that's going to take place that is going to not just roll people's sins back for a year at a time, but I'm going to make a way of escape for you that your sins, all of your sins, can be nailed to the cross of Christ. And when that happens and his blood is shed, which happens in the, in the Gospels, when the blood of Jesus was shed, that caused there to be the rolling away of our sins. When we avail ourselves of that blood, our sins are rolled back, not for a year, but my sins are rolled back just as far as the east is from the west. Now, if you can ever find how far away that is, you let me know. But it's a pretty good distance. And, and they're constantly moving away, constantly moving away. And he has provided that way of escape for us. And... I am so very thankful for that tonight. I guess that's all still a little bit fresh on my mind because of what I preached about Sunday. And and I don't ever want to forget or take for granted what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, folks. I don't ever want to to forget that, that we serve a God who loved us so much that He Himself would say, I will robe myself in flesh and I will go and I will become the ultimate sacrifice for my people. For my people. And, and what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Now, you have, to, in order to, to believe these prophecies that I'm going to show you tonight and, and accept them, you have to take the entirety of the Old Testament as the Word of God. All right? That's, that's key. You have to take the entirety of the Old Testament as the Word of God. And, 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 while I'm on that, let me just bump this and, and tell you this. It's not just the Old Testament. It's the Old and the New Testament. We need all of it. And, and it has been all of it given to us for our, uh, for our uh, benefit. 
God has given us his word, and he's saying, if you will take my word and you will apply this word to your life, this word will be a blessing to you. But we cannot pick and choose what parts of the word of God that we are going to take. It's all or it's nothing. Can somebody say amen? It is all or it is nothing. It is not a buffet. It is not a buffet. And I like a good buffet. I like to go over to Ron's every once in a while. I always feel like, you know, I always feel like, like when I'm there that maybe we're getting close to the marriage supper of the lamb or something. They got that good uh, Cajun fish they got there. And, and, of course, that has nothing to do with what I'm teaching tonight. I'm just getting excited thinking about it. But I go down that buffet when I'm there and, and I get the things I want. And I have, this, I have this thing that I do. If I'm going out to a buffet and I want to enjoy myself, I'm going to enjoy myself. And I pick out the things I like. And the things I like are typically not the most healthy things that are on the buffet. All right. So I get the fried stuff, you know. My goodness. And and I get the 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 hush puppies and the french fries and and that fish that's been fried and, and I may get some fried chicken and and I'm going to lose some folks tonight. I can tell already. <laughs> Just, yeah, we're doing good right now, aren't we? And I, I go through, I get all that stuff that I want. And, what, and, and, and that's the key thing right there. It's what I want. That's what is wonderful about a buffet. You get what you want. Now, I've been on, as a youth pastor before, I've been on trips where I would take a large group somewhere and we would call ahead and say, we're bringing, you know, 40, 50, 60 people in at a certain time. Uh, can your restaurant accommodate us? And they'd say, sure, we'll accommodate you. And we get there. And one of the ways that they have accommodated us is that they have given us a very uh, a much smaller menu than their normal menu. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They'll say, instead of you choosing off our regular menu, uh, in order for us to do this in a timely fashion, we're going to give you a menu that's going to have three or four choices, and this is what they can order from. And that doesn't excite me as much. Because I may not like their choices. I need a big menu. And so if we are not careful, we'll treat the word of God like that. I've got to tell you tonight that we need all of this book in order to live a profitable life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. All right? We need the entirety of the book. And let me tell you this. We need uh, the things that we like and we need the things that we don't like. And you're not going to like everything that God has to say to you. That goes over like a lead balloon. But it is true. You're not going to like everything that God will say to you and look at you and say, this is something, that here's an area in your life where you've got to change. And, and it, it's just not going to happen. And, and there's going to be things that are going to bother you and, and frustrate you, but if you are wise, you are going to say, not my will, but thine be done. So we need all of the Bible. And so uh, we've got to accept that all of this book, um, all of this book is for us. If we get to saying, well, I'll take um, Genesis, but I'm not going to take this, then, then, 
then you've got a problem because Genesis works in tandem with that. And it can't just be the law. You've got, you need the law. The law was our school teacher. We're taught that in the New Testament. So we need the law. Some people want to throw the law away. I understand uh, that we're not under law anymore, but the law is still a schoolmaster, the Apostle Paul told us. We need it to teach us some things. So we need law. We need the prophets. Can you say amen? We need the prophets, and that's really where I was headed right there, is I want to tell you that we have to understand that the prophets are very uh, are a very important section contained in our Bible. These prophets do a couple of things through their ministry in, in the Old Testament. One of the things that they do is that they point the way for Israel that they should go. But another thing that they do is they while they are doing that, Often, they are prophesying about he who is to come. Now, here's what's really amazing to me. There are times in the Bible when somebody, when when an Old Testament writer writes something in the Bible, and they mean it one way, and they don't even realize that while it's coming out of their mouth, God is using them to prophesy about that which is to come. And sometimes, let's just... If I was preaching, I'd key in on this right here. And I would tell you that sometimes when you're crying out to God and you're praying before the Lord, sometimes you begin to say things that you think are only applying to the current situation that you are in, but really you're making a prophetic statement about what God wants to do or what God is going to do. And you're saying things that you don't even realize what you're saying as the Spirit of God is flowing through you and inspiring you to speak those things. So, we've got to take all of the Bible. So let's deal with some of these prophecies that are in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. The very first one that I want to bring to you uh, is found in Genesis 3. And 15, Genesis 3, verse number 15. Now, this is after, this is after Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit that the devil, uh, who, this, who, who was disguised as the serpent, that he has got them to eat of. They have partaken of the fruit, and the Lord begins to put a curse upon the devil. And in verse number 15, he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Right? I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. All right? That seed is going to bruise your head, and you are going to bruise his heel. I'll put enmity between thee and thy seed. Let me back up just a moment here. Now, what is that letting us know? That is letting us know that the Messiah is going to be born of a woman. All right? Here's the prophecy. The Messiah, there's two in here. The Messiah will be born of a woman and... And that Messiah is going to, to crush the head of the enemy. All right? So let's look at Matthew chapter 1 
and verse number 20. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to keep you real busy tonight, Brad. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 20. The Bible says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. All right? So the prophecy was that there was going to be something born, a Messiah was going to be born, and it would be born of a woman. All right? Now I want you to look at Galatians 4 and 4. This just nails this down even a little bit further. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. If I had time tonight, I would, I would spend time on made under the law. I won't do that tonight. But notice that phrase, made of a woman. So the, the Messiah was born of a woman. That is the first Old Testament prophecy that I will point to tonight that Jesus Christ fulfilled. Even though Jesus Christ is the God-man, even though Jesus, He is fully God, He is fully man, even though Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, He did not just, he did not just float down out of the sky and come, He was born of a woman. Alright? Prophecy fulfilled. The second one, if you look at Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. Y'all be praying for this cough of mine. I'd like to get rid of it one of these days. Micah 5, verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Again, this is a messianic prophecy talking about the Messiah, the anointed one who would come that was going to deliver the people of God. And he said, Bethlehem, it's going to be out of you, though you are little. Bethlehem was, was not the largest of the of the tribes. Bethlehem was not the most important even really of the tribes. Yet the Lord made a statement through the prophet Micah. Out of you Bethlehem. This is going to be the one. You're going to be the one that out of you is going to come the Messiah. Now why is that? I'm going to, I'm going to kind of jump ahead into some things. But you have to remember that the Lord had told David. Years before, long before this. The Lord had already told David. King David. He said David. There will be seed of your, uh, there will be one of your seed that will sit upon the throne of Israel forever. Forever. He said, there is always going to, that's how much David pleased God. Boy, I'm telling you what, if I was in that day, I would want to be so pleasing to the Lord that he would look at me and say, you have blessed me so much, Kenneth O'Connell, that I'm always going to make sure that somebody from your family is sitting on the throne. That's how I'd like to live for God. And David had that testimony. He pleased God so much, the Lord said, there's always going to be one. And so uh, that can only happen... 
Because the Messiah is going to be the one that's going to come. And he's going to rule over Israel one of these days. We understand that. So that can only be if the Messiah comes through the lineage of David. And if you remember last week, I quoted a verse to you that Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, let me ask you a question. You've been asking me questions. Now I want to ask you one. He said, uh, why is it that David said, uh, he said, my Lord said to my Lord. In other words, my Lord, God, said to my Lord, me. Come sit on my right hand. Now, how is that possible? He had to come through the lineage of David, all right? David was of Bethlehem. You remember when he said, oh, if I could just get a drink from the well, if I could just get some water from that well in Bethlehem. He remembered that. So, Micah 5 and 2 gives us the, gives us the, uh, the prophecy. You're going to be, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. Okay, look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. Matthew 2, verse number 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse number 4. Luke chapter 2, begin with verse number 4. We're going to go through 6. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. Now that is where Joseph and Mary lived. That's where you would think Jesus is going to be born. But Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of who? David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Verse number 5. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I am going to tell you that when that decree went out that, that uh, Caesar Augustus made, that all the Bible said all the world should be taxed, that everything in his domain should be taxed, when he made that decree... It was for no other reason than that God was saying, I'm going to show you how powerful I am, that I can move men, and I I set up kings, I set up kingdoms, I set up rulers, I set up thrones, all of those things, they are under my jurisdiction, and I am going to cause him to do something, and the only reason I'm going to do it, it's not so he can have more money, it's not to increase the Roman Empire with a little bit of wealth, it's all going to be to make sure that the Messiah is born in the city of Bethlehem. Now you tell me that we don't serve an awesome God. And if he can do that, what can he do in your life? Sometimes I get to looking around saying, well, how's this going to happen? And how's that going to happen? And God, you said this, but I don't see anything that's leading to that. How's it ever going to take place? You just sit back. You trust God again. You just let keep on serving Him. You keep on worshiping Him. You keep on believing Him. You keep on being faithful to Him. And I'm going to declare to you tonight that when it's all said and done, it will have happened just like God said it was going to happen hallelujah 
Hallelujah. So that's the second messianic prophecy that I want to point out to you. Let me, let me just bring another one here. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Who's going to conceive and bear a son? A virgin. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. That is very important because this is not the the baby that she is going to give birth to. Though it is going to be born of a woman, its, its father is not going to be an earthly father. It is going to be the Spirit of God that is going to cause her to conceive. And that Spirit of God is going to get inside of that vessel. And he is going to be born into the world. And, and I started to say this a while ago and I, and I veered off from it, but I feel prompted about it again, so I'll do it right now. Think about that for years, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. God had given us prophets. Matter of fact, do you remember in the Gospels, we're told about a rich man and Lazarus. Anybody remember that? There was a rich man and Lazarus, the Bible said. And that rich man would come in and out of the gate of his house. And there was a, there was a boy that lay at his gate who was, who was very sickly. He was full of sores and the dogs would come and lick the sores, the Bible said. And that was the only relief that he got. And he didn't do anything for Lazarus. He didn't give him any kind of consideration. He didn't do anything to try to ease his suffering. He just went by him back and forth, back and forth. But he knew apparently who he was. And so when the rich man died, the Bible said that he went to hell. And in torments, he lifted up his eyes. Lazarus had already died. He lifts up his eyes and he looks and he sees this young boy Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. Abraham is holding him close. And, and he says, oh, would you please, I'm in torment. Would you please allow Lazarus just to dip his finger in water? That boy who was so dirty that I didn't want to have anything to do with. The one who the dogs licked his sores. Would you let him dip his finger in water and come to me and just cool my tongue, the tip of my tongue, for just that split second of relief that I would get? Would you allow that to happen? And Abraham said, I'm sorry, but that cannot happen. He said, well, do this then. Would you send him back? Because I've got brothers and they need to know to not come to this place. They've got to live differently than I did. And Abraham told that rich man, uh, Dives, the Bible calls him. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't hear them, they're not going to hear even Lazarus, though he were to come back from the grave. And I want to tell you tonight, that is so true. Israel had lived with the prophets. They had heard the voice of the prophets for years. But you got to remember, they killed prophets. They stoned prophets. Jesus said one time, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets. They had, they had done all of these things. They had thrown them in pits. They had thrown them in prisons. 
They had done all kinds of horrible things to the prophetic voices that God sent to them. And they were none the better for it. They Occasionally, there would be a few that would get a temporary relief and turn to God a little bit. But it was not a lasting thing. And they kept falling away and falling away and falling away from God. So finally, the Lord said, He said, I'm not going to send a prophet. I'm not going to send another voice from somebody else. But he said, I'm going to go myself because those are my kids and I love them so much that I'm going to go myself. I'll be tempted in all points like as they are. I'll even allow myself to go through the scourging. I'll allow myself to be beaten. I'll allow them to put me on a cross. But I will do all of that so I can change their life. And I want to tell you, I thank God that we serve that kind of a God. He said, I'm not one who wants to stay away from you. I'm not the kind of God that gets far away. And I'm not going to be close to to you. And I'm not going to be near you. I can't understand leadership like that. Pastors who are like that bother me. When, When, you know, they can only... And if you know somebody like this, just pretend you don't, okay? But they can only come out from their office when it's time to preach or something and and then when it's done they got to go back to their office and 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 that's the kind of that's not the kind of leadership that Jesus exampled to us he said i love people so much i'm going to go get right down in the middle of everything with them and i will do everything i possibly can they would not hear the voice of the prophets so the lord came the lord came to them now, I got on that somehow from talking about being born of a virgin. <laughs> Messiah was going to be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah 7, 14. Let's look at Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So here you see this messianic prophecy was fulfilled. Mary was that virgin that conceived and brought forth a son whose name was Jesus. All right, y'all doing okay tonight? All right. Let's look at Hosea 11 and 1. Hosea 11 and 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him. This is one of those times when the prophet says something he really doesn't even, I don't think, understand. Hosea said, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This is a messianic prophecy saying that the Messiah is going to come out of Egypt. Well, how is that possible? You said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's, he's, he's going to be of the lineage of David, which means he's a Jew. So how is it possible for him to come out of Egypt? That's a good question, isn't it? How is it possible for him to come out of Egypt? Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 2, 14 and 15. 
when he arose, now this is after Joseph has had a dream in the night, and the angel of the Lord has come to him and says, you've got to get out of here. So this is what happened. When he arose, he took the young child, Jesus, and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Verse 15. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, are you seeing this? This is all of these things, all of these pieces of the puzzle coming together, letting us know that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah. All right? Uh, Let's look at Isaiah. This is not my notes tonight, but it's one I want to go to. Isaiah 9 and 6. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All right? All right? This is the verse, everybody reads it Christmas. This is the verse that we've all heard hundreds of times probably before. It is a direct reference. It is a messianic prophecy referring to the Messiah. Is that right? All right. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now watch this. And his name, somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, in that one verse it said his name shall be called Emmanuel. Why did they call him Jesus? It's because when it says his name shall be called Emmanuel, that is saying, and he shall be known as God with us. All right? That is not the declared name of the Lord, and I may get into that here in a little bit. I've got some notes on that that I'd like to get into if if we have the time. But the declared name of the Lord uh, is Jesus, okay? But the same thing is true here. His name shall be called. Well, we don't call Jesus wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Lord, I praise you in the name of wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. That's not how we we refer to him all the time. That is identifying who this is. Now, we know that that is a messianic prophecy about Jesus Christ. And notice this. And by the way, Jesus, Isaiah had a lot to say about Jesus. A lot of people call Isaiah the one God prophet. And Isaiah had a lot to say about Jesus. And I'm going to probably point out a couple of other of his prophecies here in a moment. But uh, this is probably, to me, one of the more powerful ones. And I love here that it says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Notice this, the Mighty God, the Baby The child who's born, the son who's given, is going to be known as the mighty God. This is where there seems to be some kind of conflict. The child who's born, the son who's given, is also going to be known, known as the everlasting father. How is it possible that the baby, the child, the son, how can the son be the father? Well, that's what oneness people and Trinitarian people have been arguing about for years. I want to tell you how that's possible. The reason that the Son 
can be known as the Father is because the Father is in the Son. All right? The Father, Spirit, is in the Son, flesh. That is how this is possible. Jesus Christ is... the anybody Would anybody doubt that this verse is talking about the birth of Jesus? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Nobody doubts that. And the, that baby, Jesus, is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And I'm trying to be... I really wanted to be good tonight and stay on my notes tonight. I'm just struggling to do that. But my wife's been wanting me to hit this verse ever since I started this series. Not this one. There's another one. But it is where the disciples looked at Jesus and they said, Show us the Father and it will suffice us. If you'll show us the Father, this is the one you've been wanting me to hit, right? If you'll show us the Father, we'll be happy. We've heard you talk of the Father. And if you read Jesus in the Gospels, you will hear him refer to the Father. All right? And so they're thinking there must be another entity who is the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus looked at Philip. He said, have you been so long with me, Philip, and yet you have not known me? Hast thou been so, so long with me, Philip, and yet thou hast not known me? When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Right. Now, Jesus said that. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, somebody was telling me the other day, I, there was a, a picture. Oh, it was when we were, when my brother's son was born. And we were at the hospital in Hot Springs. <clears throat> and my wife took a picture of my dad, myself, my brother, Asher, and my brother's son, whose name is Canaan. The five of us were in that picture. And so I had posted that. And I, and I said something about, the here's the O'Connell men. And somebody who knows us from way back in Texas days made the comment on there and said, you're looking more and more like your dad every day. You're looking more and more like your... Anybody ever heard that? You're looking like your mom or you're looking like your dad. They said, you're looking more and more like your dad every day. Well, if, what is, that, that may be true. I may resemble my dad, but I am not my dad. And I can say that when you've seen me, you've seen the spitting image of my dad. But it is not the same as saying you've seen my dad. Because my dad is not me and I am not my dad. He thinks differently than I think. He talks differently than I talk. He acts differently than I act. When you see me, you have not seen my father. But Jesus looked at the disciples that day and said, When you have seen me, you have seen the father. Now how can Jesus say that? I'm going to tell you how he can say that. It is because the father was in the son. Spirit was in flesh. And he said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That is how Isaiah 9 and 6 can be true. 
For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That is how it is possible. All right? I'm trying to stay on notes tonight. Help me, Jesus. Y'all doing all right? Let's look. Here, here's a good one. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Verse 13. And the Lord said unto me. Now watch this carefully. Cast it unto the potter. Everybody say the potter. Cast it unto the potter. A goodly priced price that I was prized at of them that I was appraised at and I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord all right that's Zechariah 11 now let's go and let's look at Matthew 27 uh, 9 through 10 Matthew 27 9 through 10 Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. What had happened is that after Judas betrayed the Lord, the the Bible teaches us that Judas betrayed Jesus for thirty pieces, Pieces of silver. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And uh, Judas, when he realized what he had done, he runs back to the Pharisees who paid him the money. He said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. The innocent blood. Oh, that's powerful right there. If it had not been the innocent blood, it could not have taken away our sin. But Judas said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. And here, take your money back. And they said, we don't want it now. It's blood money. We don't want it anymore. And so he threw it down at their feet. And, and he ran out of there. And that's when he went and he hanged himself. And the chief priest uh, got the silver. And they said, it's not lawful that we could put it in the treasury. Because it's the price of blood. We used it uh, to, to betray a man. So they took counsel. And they bought with them the potter's field that you bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. And that fulfilled what Jeremiah and Zechariah both spoke about concerning the 30 pieces of silver and the potter's field. Isn't it amazing, all of these things that the Bible allows to happen in order to confirm to us that Jesus is God? To confirm to us that Jesus is God. 
Look at Psalm 69 and 21. Psalm 69 and 21. And they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. A messianic prophecy written by the psalmist hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. Go to Matthew uh, chapter 27, verse 34. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Is anybody else just amazed by how the Lord does all this stuff? It's amazing. Look at John 19, 28 through 30. John 19, 28 through 30. <laughs> After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar. This is John's recording of what Matthew told us about. And they put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Jesus would not even allow himself to die until he had fulfilled prophecy that was written by the prophet hundreds of years before he ever got here. Folks, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the ones... Well, go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And the ones who have argued about that for so many years would be the Jews. And, and they have said, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the Messiah. We're still waiting on the Messiah. They're at the Wailing Wall today. And they're praying, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah. Not knowing that he's already been here. And he's going to keep be coming back one of these days. And it's amazing to me that they miss all of these things. And the reason they miss this stuff, and I'm, I don't know what the deal is tonight, that I've got a preaching spirit on me, but the reason they missed all this is because they expected that it should happen in a different way. It should not be, uh, the Messiah should not come from humble background. The Messiah shouldn't be born in a stable. He shouldn't be laying in a manger. The Messiah is going to be a mighty conquering ruler and king. And he's got to come with a show of power. And he did come with a show of power, but not the kind they were looking for. They were looking for a physical demonstration of power. But our Lord came with a spiritual demonstration of power. And they missed all of those things because he he did not come as they expected him to in the box that they had prescribed that he would come in. Now, I want to preach a little bit right now and tell you this. Don't miss God in your life because you've got a little box put together and you've said Jesus has to move this way in this manner at this time, that's the way Jesus has to move in my life for me to know it's Jesus. And he's saying, if you just leave me alone and let me do this the way I want to do this, I could handle it. I could take care of it. You'd be alright. Everything would be alright. Why don't we let God be God? Well, somebody say praise the Lord. 
Let's let the Lord be the Lord. I'm almost done here. I, I, I just I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two more very quickly. Psalm 22 and 18. Psalm 22 and 18. The psalmist wrote, said, They passed my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. A messianic prophecy, all right, that they would part his garments among them and cast lots for his vesture. Look at Luke 23 and 34. It says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Why did they cast the lots? To see who was going to get his raiment. Because his, the Bible teaches, well, it, I think it's in this verse, so I won't say that just yet. Look at Matthew 27, 35, and 36. Matthew 27, 35 and 36, the Bible says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And the reason they did that is because his garment was made all of one piece. It wasn't different pieces sewn together to create a garment. It was all one garment that was one piece. And they it was so nice that they didn't want to rip it. So they said, we'll just cast lot. We'll gamble for it. And this fulfilled the scripture written by the psalmist. We're told here in Matthew that they cast lots from my vesture. All right. The last one that I'll read to you. Uh, look at Psalm 34 and 20, please. Psalm 34 and 20. I tell you what, before I read that, I want to go all I want to go back to Exodus. Exodus 12 and 46. Again, the Bible. And I'm sorry, I feel like I'm a little scattered tonight. I guess it's because we're dealing with so many different things here, but but I I would spend the time if I had it tonight, I would spend the time to talk about how the Bible is so seamlessly woven together. And what God does in different parts of the Bible though it seems like a small detail back then, becomes a major detail when you look at it in hindsight, okay? In Exodus 12 and 46, the Lord is giving them commandment regarding the Passover, all right? They're leaving Egypt. God's giving them commandment regarding the Passover lamb. He says, In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. You eat it in the house. You don't take it outside the house to eat it. You eat it in the house. Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All right? See that? That's just a minor detail. It's like almost as an aside. Don't, eat, don't even break a bone within the Passover lamb. How many knows that Jesus is the lamb? All right. Now let's go to Psalm 34 and 20. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. A messianic prophecy by the psalmist. Now please go to John 19, 33 through 36. John 19, 33 through 36. But when they came to Jesus, here Jesus was on the cross. 
when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. They were going to the other two that were on the cross on either side of the Lord, and they to help speed up the process of them dying, they were breaking their legs. And when they got to where Jesus was, Jesus had already passed away. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. 35. And he saw, and he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. Verse 36. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. Now that's amazing. It is amazing. The typical process was when they crucified somebody, they would be up there so long. They, they had it to a science, folks. It is recorded history, historical fact. They had crucifixion down to a science. They know, knew exactly where to put the nails. They knew exactly where to put them in the hands and feet. They knew exactly how to elevate you to the point where you could live the greatest amount of time in extreme agony so that the crucifixion would be a horrible, agonizing death. So what they would do when they had let you hang there for maybe all day and it would come in the evening time and they'd say, all right, We've got to hurry this up. They would come by, and this was just part of the process. They said, we'll come by and break their legs. And that was just what they did to speed it up, Brother Randall. But when they got to Jesus, the Lord said, I'm gonna, I've got this thing so down to the exact thing of what I want it to be that he had already said, it is finished. And given up the ghost. He'd already drank the vinegar. He'd already uh, gone through the scourging. And I didn't go to all that stuff. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Yet he opened not his mouth. There was another part where they tried to question Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't say a word to him. The Bible said he opened not his mouth. That it might be fulfilled. That he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Yet he opened not his mouth. He'd already done all of those things. And so the Lord says now I'm going to allow the him to give up the ghost. And he does that so that they would not break his legs. And when they thrust the spear in his side, they didn't break a bone doing that. And out comes blood and water. That is how, that is how uh, detailed God was about the messianic prophecies. And that's how, that's how assured we can be that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus Christ is wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That Jesus Christ is the I Am. That Jesus Christ is the Lord our God, who is one Lord. That Jesus Christ is the Father manifested in the Son. We can be assured of that. We can hold on to that. We can know that of a fact because he proved it 
through His Word. And if you want to believe anything, you ought to believe the Word of God. And I am thankful for that. My goodness, I'm a little excited right about now. But I am thankful for the testimony of our Lord and Savior. He said, I'll make sure I go through all of it. He said, I won't miss one part of it. He said, oh, if I could, I'd say, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he got up, and he set his face like a flint, and he went headed to Calvary. And he went through all of those things in order to prove to us that he was who he said he was, and that we could put our faith in him, and we could put our trust in him. Oh, how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. Somebody ought to go ahead and praise him, magnify him, lift him up for being the mighty God who came to save the world. Well, go ahead, let's stand together tonight and give God praise in this house. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for being the Messiah. Thank you that you were Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If I was preaching right now, I'd have taken the time to tell you he's not just Emmanuel, God with us anymore. Now he is Jesus, God in us. (laughs) And when we were filled with the Holy Ghost, we got that earnest of our inheritance. And now I've got Jesus with me. Everywhere I go, Jesus goes. Everything I do, Jesus is with me. He's never far from me. Matter of fact, he's as close as the mention of his name. Thank God that he has filled me with the spirit of Christ. And that I am one of his. And that I am an heir with Christ. That I am a child of the king. Thank God for it tonight. Hallelujah. I got too, it took too long to get where I got to there tonight. But I, I hope tonight. Because I only... Out of, out of literally, literally, tens and tens and tens of prophecies about Jesus. I only covered, I don't know, what do you think, eight or so of them tonight? I just covered about eight of them tonight. There's probably another 40 or 50 that I didn't even touch tonight. I just, I just covered a few of them to prove to you that Jesus Christ is God. But we could be here all night talking about what he did to show us who he was. He doesn't want you to be in doubt about it. He doesn't want you to be confused about it. He doesn't want you to wonder about this. He wants you to know who he is. You better believe it's important who Jesus is. He wants you to know that he is the almighty God, robed in flesh. Come as our mediator. What a mighty God we serve. Lord, we love you. Lord, we glorify and magnify you tonight. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way, Lord, that you have shown yourself strong and mighty to us. Thank you, God, that you are, even now, you are continuing to reveal things to us. About who you are. I'm more sure of it in my spirit tonight. Than I've ever been God. That you are the one who came to save me from my sins. Lord I glorify you. I praise you. I magnify you. 
You are so wonderful. You are so glorious. You are highly exalted. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I pray, God, that you keep ministering to this church through this series. Because I know that it is important to you, Jesus, that we know who you are. And I pray that you will keep ministering to this church through this series, Lord. And that we will get it down deep inside of us. And that nothing will move us off the cornerstone, the foundation of all doctrine and theology. That you are the mighty God in Christ. And that it's all in you. Let nothing move us off of that. For this will give you praise and glory. And we will lift you up and exalt you. In the name of Jesus. Would you clap your hands and give him praise one more time. (laughs) Hallelujah. I heard somebody say one time when somebody was struggling with something. They said, well, I don't understand why we... Why we do these things and we we live this way and other Christian groups don't do these things and other Christian groups don't think it's a big deal to live that way. What's why why do we do it and they don't? And he said, let me he said, let me ask you a question. How do they baptize? He said, because I don't see the Bible doesn't say in black and white, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. And he said, well, let me ask you this. How do they baptize? I don't think I, I, I want to follow their uh, opinion on, on how we should live if they don't have baptism correct. He said, uh, how many gods do they believe in? I don't think I want to follow their opinion on that if they don't understand the Godhead and who he is. Now, I don't think we need to ever take these things to make us feel superior or arrogant or any of those things. But we need this to be assured of the fact that we know who the Lord is. And when you have this foundation in your life, when we get this cornerstone down deep in our soul and and we're building off of this, all of these other things are going to fall into place. And you won't struggle with, with, with... how, how to dress. And you won't struggle with how to act and how to live and how to speak when you get these things in line. Well, that's another message, but it's the truth. It's the truth. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. When you begin to talk about who the Lord is.